0: Good morning, Sunday school. How are we doing today? So this is, you guys know that this is No Excuses Sunday, right? Because you had a whole extra hour to be here, so you did a great job. It's good to see you this morning. And uh, if I can get your attention for just a sec, we have a guest speaker today. And I am very, very pumped about this. I have never heard uh, Ms. Shandley Christman speak before, and I'm kind of excited. So let's welcome her this morning. Thank you, guys. What
1: we're going to do, I want you to see a map down here at the end. This is, we're going to recap real quick what the Israelites have done. They started out in Egypt. They wandered all over the wilderness. This really is just an estimation because nobody really knows where they all went. It was all over the place for 40 years. And you see up to the top there where the lake is at, or the lake, that is the Dead Sea. And they are about to cross over into the Jordan. So I've got a real quick clip I want you to watch. Well, as Indy so nicely illustrated for us here, what what is before us usually isn't what's there. Um, God always provides the way when he calls us to step in faith where there seems to be no path or no way for us to go through. In Joshua 2, if you'll open up in your Bibles, Joshua 2 and 3, that's where we're going to, 2, 3, and 4 is kind of where we're going to focus today. Um, in 2, the spies have gone out into Jericho. They've scattered out the land, um, come back to Joshua and said, All right, we can do this. We can do this. Let's go ahead and move on in. And Joshua says that the Lord has given the land unto us. They start making plans. God's speaking to him how they're actually going to get across. Um, This brings us to the edge of the Jordan River, and the Israelites are on the edge of a precipice that's going to cause monumental change in their life and in their nation. Either they continue wandering in the past through the desert of the disobedience, or they step out into faith and cross the raging river and into a land that's inhabited by their enemies. Um, Starting in Joshua 3. Then Joshua, whose name means Savior or Deliverer, who else does that sound like? Jesus, yes. The Sunday school answer fits here. Um, Joshua and Jesus actually have the same root meaning of their name. Um, Joshua is is the Deliverer for the the Israelites, just as Jesus was the Deliverer for us and prepared the way for us. Um, Continuing on, rose early in the morning. Joshua was walking the walk. He wasn't just talking the talk. He was a leader that was stepping up, getting up early, spending time with God, and by God's leading was showing the nation what they should do. It wasn't just him saying, oh, let's do this. Let's, let's do this. I think we can do this. Because he knew that without God, it was not possible. They set out from the grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp. According to Jewish calendar, this is the first month of the year. This would be about April, um, according to our calendar. Um, Forty years ago is ah, sorry. They are five days before the 40th anniversary of the Exodus. That's your blank there. 40 year anniversary. So they are celebrating Passover on the 14th. They are entering into the Promised Land on the 10th. So they are going to be coming into a new land and will be celebrating this as they enter. And they commanded the people, saying. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Throughout chapter 3, the Ark is mentioned 14 times in 17 verses. So that's very significant that the the, the emphasis in this, what God wants him to focus on here is the Ark. It's all about coming back to that in his faith. Um, As they've gone through the wilderness, the cloud has been leading them by day and the, the fire has been leading them by night. At that point, that ceases to happen. Um, God takes up residence in the ark. He takes and um, that manifestation here and brings it down to them so that they have that with them at all times. Um, before, when he wanted to speak to them, the cloud came down to the ark, and they knew that it was God wanting to speak at that point. Uh, your blank here is the people are commanded to step out and follow him. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. This is about 1,000 yards. Um, We're talking about eight football fields, end zone to end zone, lined out. About a half a mile is is how far they were supposed to keep um, from the ark. It was not that they were. um, A couple of reasons why here. One, it was holy, and they weren't to go around it. Secondly, God wanted the whole nation to be able to see that this was out in front and this was leading them. So he said, keep this distance so that it's more visible. We've got a lot of people crowding around something. It's harder to see something that's in the midst of it. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. Okay. Talking about missteps here, um, they didn't know where they were going, the whole way to the desert or the wilderness. God was leading them every step of the way. When I was in high school, I sang in a group, and we were at a church, you know, probably 15, 16 years old, and I played the flute also. I was doing the offertory. During the prayer for the offertory, I decided I'd go ahead and move on up to the front of the platform. And as I'm walking up there, I'm not really paying attention to where I'm going. I get up there, and my heel sticks into the floor vent that is on the floor. But I don't know why they had it on the platform to begin with, but I couldn't move. And I'm yanking my foot out of the vent, and I'm standing there. All these people have their heads bowed. Nobody has any idea what's going on. And I'm looking for somebody to help me and come help because I had misstepped and didn't know where I'm at and how I was going to get out of it. The pastor eventually saw that I was struggling, came up, and I had to leave my shoe in the vent and go back to the back. It's why well, he could pull it out because it wouldn't come out. The point of that is that we all misstep at times, that there's some things that no matter how well we're paying attention, we might be distracted for a moment, and that is going to cause a misstep. So that's um, just to show that we all have missteps in life. Um, as we talk about this chapter, we're going to be talking about memorial stones that they put up. So, I have my stone here of misstep, because we've all made those those um, mistakes or missteps in our life. Continuing on in verse 5, And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves. Okay, sanctify, the word here means to set apart yourselves. You want to focus on the spiritual, as this is a spiritual battle as a crossing. It's not just a physical battle of actually getting across the river. They are seeing a fulfillment of the covenant that God has established with them when they came out of Egypt. It's taken 40 years minus 5 days to get to this point for this covenant to be fulfilled. And they are likely going to be starting to prepare themselves in their hearts for Passover, which is going to occur in 4 days from now. And it's not one thing they just get the day before Passover and say, Oh, here I go, I'm going to prepare for it. It is the preparation time that they have to go through. Um, continuing on. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Um, talking back in the Exodus in Egypt, they celebrated Passover, then they left. Here they are, they are entering and then going to celebrate Passover. So God has brought them full circle back to him throughout the process of the wilderness. Then Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. Normally the Ark was carried by the Levites. Here it says that it was carried by the priest. It's interesting to note that Levites, the men, they're always men, um, Levites aren't necessarily priests, but priests are always Levites. I want to point that out, that um, there was something different going on here. The ark was going before them, and it wasn't guarded like it typically was. Typically, they had, had all the Levites around it, and it was going out, and it had no protection here. So the significance of that is that God was telling them, I am sufficient. I can go before you and prepare the way without you having to have um, something around me to guard me. Priest is the the blank there. And all he required of them was to follow. He just wanted them to follow the ark. There was nothing else that he required of them at that point. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Joshua was a faithful servant. He stepped out and accepted the call God was giving on his life. As leaders in our homes and in our work and in our community and in our church, God's placed that same call upon our lives. Um, we might not know what's going to happen, how it's going to happen, but all we have to do is step out in faith, knowing that God's going to provide that way. We just have to step. That's all he's asking us to do. Verse 8. You shall command the priests to bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. The key here is that if this is God's leading, not Joshua's timing. If they had tried to cross in Joshua's timing or any other leaders' timing, they would have gotten swallowed up by the river. It, it, it's definitely something in God's timing um, in stepping out. He answered that call and he stepped out, um, but he knew that God would provide the way that, that they needed to get across. Verse 9, So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive you out from the Canaanites and the Hittites and all the rest of the ites. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Okay, the physical representation of God is crossing the Jordan before them, preparing the way for them. This is reminiscent of Jesus preparing the way for us. The Ark going over has um, paved the way for them to go from the old life of sin and disobedience into the new life of the painted land and into the promised land that God had for them. Same way that Jesus went and prepared the way for us on the cross so that we can cross over from sin into new life with God. Um, about eight years ago, I guess it was, I was singing in a group here at church and we traveled around to different, um, different churches, conferences, and things like that that we would participate in and sing at those locations. And about eight years ago, one of the guys, Sam, um, gave this story and I just thought it was a beautiful picture of, of God and, and being in the midst with us. Um, he was headed home to Alabama one day. He was headed down 59, has his little Camry, and he said he just, just loves his little Camry really thought about you when I started writing this and he said that as he's going down 59 he noticed the storm clouds in the distance dark gray horrible looking storm clouds could see the lightning in them knew that he was going to be coming upon a storm very soon shortly thereafter the pelt the pelting of the hail started sorry hitting his car and it was just pinging on it he said he could hear his car screaming no no because all the hell was just expecting it was just a uh, pounding and he said he expected to get out And see dents all over his car. It was that much hail. Then he realized, hey, wait a minute. It stopped. And he's in the middle of it. It's sunny. There's nothing around him. But he looked in his rearview mirror, and there was a raging storm behind him. He could see the lightning, see the dark clouds behind him. Looked ahead of him. He could see more dark clouds, more lightning, another storm that was up ahead. Um... God is in the midst of that with you, just as He did with the Israelites. He went into the raging river with them. He was in the path, he was in the past with them all the way through the wilderness. He was in the river before them, and then he went before them and had prepared a way into Canaan for them. Um, one of the storms in my life that I have dealt with over the last five or six years has been lupus that is a um, a, a disease that affects many different parts of my body, and there are weeks when it goes on and on and on that I just want to give up. Um, I have just had enough. It's just, you know, I'm, I'm over it. And I'm angry. I'm angry at the disease. I'm angry that I can't do what I want to do. Um, that is a storm in my life that I know that when I get to that point, I have to be just completely on my knees before God because that's the only way that I'm going to make it through the rest of that flare. Um, so lupus is another stone in my life that I have to deal with on a daily basis. How or what is God calling you to step out to? And this is not something that you need to answer out loud. Take home and reflect on this. Um, He's got a plan for all of us, and he's calling you to something or from something. So think about that over the next couple of days. Um, What is it that God really wants you to do or move away from? On into verse 12. Now, therefore, take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every, every tribe, and it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord The Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, that the waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. So it was, when the people set out from their camp to cross the Jordan, with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows its banks, all during the whole time of harvest. Typically, the Jordan is about twenty yards wide. Um, this time of year though was april first of the year the snows were mount, were melting in the mountains north of where the, where the jordan originated is so it originates at the bottom of a mountain and so when all the snows started melting it started to flood and every year this happens they know that the jordan is going to overflow this time every single year um, they plant crops that are actually that are hardy that actually need more water that that um are good for this time of year because they know it needs more water. Um, The the river actually at this point, they estimate was close to a mile wide. So it would have been a long distance for them to get across the river. Of course, when that dries up, you're still going to have the original riverbed there. But they're they're standing there looking at this, seeing this raging river that's about a mile across. They can barely see across and wondering how in the world are we going to get across that. Um, The barley was harvest time in Canaan at this point. God had prepared their way into Canaan because he had set it up that they would be there at this particular time when the harvest was ready to be brought in. All they have to do is step into the promised land and everything is provided for them. Food, shelter, all of those things are already there. They just have to step in and claim them. Uh, The the blank here is the fields would be full and abundant. Verse 16 that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far, far away at Adam, the city where that is besides Veriton. This is 15 to 20 miles away. You can barely see it down there, but if you follow the, at the bottom, you're going to see the Dead Sea, and if you follow the blue line that goes straight north, when you get to the top of that, um, that's about where it was at. We're talking 15 to 20 miles away is where the water stopped. They had the entire length of it down to the Dead Sea that there was no water flowing. Um. It's speculated that God used an earthquake to cause the water to stop. In that area where Zaratan and Adam are, are steep cliffs. The, the river snakes through, very steep cliffs on either side. An earthquake many times has caused the rocks to fall and dam up the water there. Um, the most recent that they have documented is in the 1920s. It, it locked up the water for 21 hours. There was no flow from that point of the river all the way down to the Dead Sea, 21 hours. Um, it's, re- it's important to remember here, though, that, what, that God uses whatever he needs to to get your attention, That it, uh, to get your attention to achieve his purposes. If you use nature, it was in his timing and his authority. Um, I'm being very transparent with you all today. Um, when I was in my early 20s, I graduated college and decided I had met a guy on spring break from a friend of mine that I went to school with, I'm gonna to move to Florida because that's where he's from and whew, i graduated, I don't have anything else to do, so I took off twelve hours away from home. Um, got down there, the first couple of days I was there, realized he was seeing somebody else. And we I, we both had made that agreement with each other that we're gonna date and all this. He was dating somebody else too. I decided I would stay. I said, you know, what have I got to go home for? I'm twenty one, I don't have anything to go home for. It's just I'm here. Let's have fun. I'm ten minutes from the beach. So how hard can life really be being 10 minutes from the beach? So I ended up getting a job, and it was two years of just constant turmoil and upheaval, and it was just one bad thing after another that kept happening. Ended up coming back home after about two years on disability from my job because of the lupus that they hadn't diagnosed at that point. Um, came home, kind of recovered a little bit, decided I'd go back to school. I had started a master's program while I was in Florida in counseling, Came here, transferred those hours to Lee University. It was in their counseling pro- program there for about a year and a half. Um, about, hmm, I guess, towards the end of the year and a half, uh, spring break came around again. And I decided I'm going to go visit the friends that I had made while I was in Florida. So I took off on a 12-hour drive by myself again. Got down there. The friends that I was staying with, I had worked with him at um, a, a communications company. And then I had gone to church with, with him and his wife. And I thought, I'm going to stay with them for a week. That'll be fun. We'll go do, you know, wish gardens and all those fun things. Well, she introduced me to her brother. And y'all tell I had, some, I had some issues in my earlier life about needing um, someone in my life and not being able to be alone. That was, God finally dealt with me about five or six years ago with that. Um, I can say that that's not the problem now, but at that point it definitely was because I was grabbing and searching everything I could find to fill that place of what I should have had God in. and I had totally stepped out of the timing that he had for my life. Because I can say that from 21 through about 30, none of that was in God's timing. I just kept stepping all in the wrong directions. I was making missteps and missteps and jumping before God said to go. Um, I am here to tell you that he does redeem those situations when you bring those back to him. Um, Once you come back with repentance that you say, yes, I did make a mistake and I'm sorry. And he has used all of those times of nine years to really glorify him. So another stone memorial that we have here is wrong timing. Either um, we don't listen to God or we listen and then we just choose to do our own thing by ourselves anyway. Um really good quote that I found here is by David Guzik. We usually want the river to be dry even before we make a step, but God was truly calling Israel to step out in faith. One there. Um, verse 17 talking about the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord started firm on dry dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. The minute that the priest's feet hit the water of the Jordan, it dried up instantly, 15 to 20 miles away. We can say that, yes, God might have used an earthquake to to get his purposes done for the the water to stop flowing, but there's no way that any man-made thing or natural occurrence could have caused the dry bed. Um, that was definitely a supernatural intervention there, that God um, did that, because that's not going to happen. I mean, if y'all are outside at all, you know that it's going to take days of heat and dryness to get that that ground to dry up. All right, moving into chapter 4. And it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan, we're talking about a couple million people here, the priest stood there the entire time. Can you imagine how long it would take to get up? a couple of million people? In the space of about a mile. They estimate that it was several miles long, and or wide that they used to cross over. So it wasn't just a single file. Here we go. But it was, um, you know, probably three or four miles that they took up as they were crossing over, but it still is going to take a really long time, and they stood there holding the ark. That's a testament to God's strength and how he worked through them, because I don't think any man could stand there for that long, holding as heavy as the ark was, made out of solid gold. So it's going to be really, really heavy. Um, on into verse 2. The Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one from every tribe. He was showing here by taking one from every tribe that what God did was going to get back to every person in the tribe. It was going to go back, and each of those men was going to go tell their tribe so the word would spread so that they knew that this was a supernatural occurrence, that this was something that God was doing for them, that this wasn't just a coincidence or a fluke thing that happened. And command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priests' feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place where you lodged tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these, ver- these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark, of the, Lord of the Ark of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be a memorial to the children of Israel forever. Stone memorials were common in Old Testament times. They served as visual testaments that the Israelites could point their children to and say, This is what God did. This is how he brought us through this time. This is how he was faithful to us this time. They used them repeatedly throughout the Old Testament. Um, Another question for you to ask yourself. What stones do you have in your life? I've laid some of mine out here for you today. Um, What are you memorializing? Are you memorializing that you failed? Are you memorializing that God uses that failure for his glory? That Once you've come back and repented that failure to him. Um, Are the stones memorial stones or stumbling stones? Do you let them trip you up over and over and over? Or do you keep them before God and say, this is for your glory. This is for your glory. This is for your glory. More importantly, what do others see about your stones? Do they see that you are using those stones to point them to God, or are they seeing that you're wallowing in your own self pity and your failure? End of chapter 8, verse 8. And the children of Israel did so, just as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones from the midst of the Jordan, just as the Lord had spoken to Joshua, according to the number of tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them to the place where they lodged. Um, the, the the lodging, the dwelling place that they created here was Golgal, and it is from the Hebrew verb Golal, uh, meaning to roll some object upon or on or away from, even to whirl or dazzle. In the figurative sense, it's used like the idea that we roll ourselves into God. What? Oh, sorry. Um, G A L A L is the the Hebrew verb, and the the, the dwelling place was. G I L G A L. It's it's like rolling yourself into God, showing Him that you are fully you are fully trusting Him to provide what you need. Um, I'm going to read these these verses here if you want to jot them down. Um, meaning to put one's trust in Him, like in Psalm 22:8, or to commit oneself to Him, Psalm 37:5, Proverbs 6:13. When the verb is used for physically rolling something away or somewhere else, the object used is stones, and that's in Genesis twenty nine three and Joshua ten eighteen. After Joshua circumcised Israel after they made the crossing and had established this dwelling place, God said that He had rolled the stone of reproach of Egypt away from them. Um, if you double these these nouns, or I'm not sure how that all works together with with that Hebrew, but um, if you roll the fragments of each of those together, you're going to get um, a a noun that yields something similar to um, somebody rolling over something. And this is what the nation of Israel was to be when they came into Canaan. You've got two million people rolling into this land, and they were physically going to roll over all of the inhabitants and all of their enemies that came upon them. Then Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood. And they are there to this day. Okay, that's the day that this was written. This count was written down, not, obviously, the day that we're living in. Um, Schofield made an, a really neat comment here about these stones. Is this in the, is this quote in there? Okay. Um, it says, The 12 stones taken out of Jordan and erected by Joshua and Gogol and the 12 stones left in Jordan to be overwhelmed by its waters are memorials marking the distinction between Christ's death under judgment in the believer's place and the believer's perfect deliverance from justice. There's some more parallels between Joshua and Jesus. We've got their name. We talked about that earlier. And then also with the, the, the moving from the life, the old life of disobedience into the new life of repentance through him. Verse 10, So the priest who bore the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people, according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua, and the people hurried over and crossed. Then it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over, that the ark of the Lord and the priest crossed over in the presence of the people. The priest's faith to stand courageously and patiently while these two million people, people crossed was just a testament to God's physical representation in the ark. Um, like I said earlier, there was no way that these men could stand and hold that up by themselves for as long as it took for all of them um, to cross over. The priests stood firm and still in the contrast to the Israelites who hurried over. They were likely looking over their shoulder going, oh, I wonder when that water's going to start coming down again. So they're running across this river trying to get there. But the priests didn't. They got there in the middle and they stayed and they did not move the entire time. And the men of Reuben and the men of Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh crossed over armed before the children of Israel as Moses had spoken to them. About 40,000 prepared for war crossed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. Um, these, if you look to the east side of the picture, the map here, um, those tribes have been told earlier that that was the land that they could inhabit. So they were going to leave some of their people there. They actually left about 70,000 there of their um, their population, plus all of their belongings and things like that. It was only the, the warriors that went ahead, and about 40,000 of them went to fight with the rest of the nation to conquer the land. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. Joshua was exalted as a leader and for being faithful to God. They saw that Joshua truly was like Moses and that God was with him. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Command the priests who bear the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, Come up from the Jordan. And it came to pass when the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come up from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet touched the dry land, that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks before. Um, Typically, rivers aren't real shallow. So when they say he came up, They came up out of the river. They're estimating that the Jordan was about 10 to 12 feet deep at this point, so they had to go down and then come back up um, as they made their way across after the nation had already crossed. As soon as they stepped out onto dry land, the river began flowing again from 15 to 20 miles away and completely went all the way back down to the Dead Sea. Verse 19, now the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month And they camped in Galgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up there. Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. That all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. The climax for the crossing event was, was not the crossing itself. It was for God to point his children back to himself, and for them to know him and make him known in the land of their enemy, so that they know they are provided by stepping out in faith. Okay, so, um, what's the point? We all have stones in our life, things we've done right and things where we've done wrong. As leaders, We're commanded to glorify God, to step out, to know him, and to make him known. These stones are going to help us do that by pointing all of our friends, our family, our co-workers back to God when they see the trials and the struggles, the wrong mistakes that we make. If we take those things and point them back to God, they're going to see that that's what it's all about. It's not about us at all. Um, So personalize, know God, intimately and growing continually. I saw a quote this week that said... If you're too busy to pray, you're far busier than God ever intended you to be. And I would suppose, I would propose to you that that would also go for the Word too. If you're too busy to read your Bible and read the Word and be in it daily, then you're far too busy, far far too busy. Um, second one, make Him known through our stones of being faithful and our stones of disobedience and repentance, in order to point others to Him.
0: The, uh, one of the things I love about uh, the Lord is that he doesn't tell people the exact same thing, right? So that's what I like about this more than one person stands up here and speaks on a regular basis. That's what I love about our pastors and how they rotate. Now, we get a different perspective from God from different people that God is speaking to. And I, I just think that's a beautiful thing. So you've got a sheet on your table. Uh, make sure everybody's name that was at the table is on that take some time, do some prayer requests, pray as a group, and uh, thank you so much for coming today.